Now Elijah certainly knew that Ahab had sought to kill him. And it seemed that for three and a half years, God had been preparing Elijah for this square off, this meeting with Ahab, and ultimately this face off between the prophets of Baal. God had preparatory things to do in the life of Elijah. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The drought was so severe that King Ahab himself and his trusted servant Obadiah were out searching for pasture land. God arranged this unexpected meeting between Obadiah and the prophet Elijah. Elijah told him to announce to King Ahab that he was there. However, Obadiah knew that King Ahab conducted an exhaustive search for Elijah to punish him for the drought that his prayers imposed on Israel. Kindly and wisely, Elijah responded to Obadiah's legitimate fears. He would not make him a martyr on Elijah's behalf. God prepared Elijah for this very moment. Now here's Pastor Rob. And then he bowed bowed himself on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a a heavy rain. And so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, this is such an amazing chapter, isn't it? I mean, it's one that we've heard in, in, in Sunday school when we were kids, and it's such an iconic uh, chapter and really, what we see here is a battle between God and the devil, <laughs> and ultimately that God has jurisdiction. Can I get an amen? God has jurisdiction. Yes, Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and yes, for now, for a season, he is the ruler of this world. But we also know Psalm twenty-four, where it says, "The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein." In fact, the heavens are yours, the earth also yours, the world and all of its fullness. The universe actually is his too. He made it. He spoke it all into existence. The heavens declare the glory of God. He knows the stars by name. He can count every one of them if he so chose and give us a name for each one of them. And he would be delighted to do so. But unfortunately, it'll take eternity for us to hear it. So we see a battle between good and evil. And remember this, brothers and sisters. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Although the enemy seems strong and formidable and like a tank going toward a little mouse... 
And we are like that little mouse right now. And we feel sometimes, don't we, overwhelmed by the, the wickedness in the world. And it's so easy to get despondent. It's so easy to lack faith or to, to get discouraged. Anybody here discouraged? I'm going to raise my hand. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to act like some super saint because I am not. I get discouraged, and, I, and it happens quite often, to be honest with you. But we don't need to fear. It's very natural. It's very human, unfortunately, for us to feel that way. But we must remember in the times that we live, and when we see evil seemingly overtake our land, that God is in control. We have read the end of the book. Do you believe what's happening at the end of the book? Remember when we took a year and two months going through the book of Revelation and how we, we looked at how the things going through, when we were in, right in the middle of COVID, how all of these things were lining up, all of these major doctrinal things are lining up exactly the way the Bible told us they would. Either God is in control or he is not. And, and we are just in this, it's all just chance and we're just left to the wind. But I, I, I beg to differ. Because Jesus made a point to make sure that we knew ahead of time. Because, again, he's the good shepherd. And he goes before us. And he tells us these things to settle our hearts. And see, the the world around us, they don't know that. And so they're very uptight. They're very scared. And they don't know what to do with themselves. That's why crime and drug abuse and alcoholism and everything under the sun is ramping up. Because there's no hope in America. The only hope for America is Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. There's no other hope. Even if a Republican president was to get into office, the only hope still is Jesus Christ. We must remember that. It's a battle between good and evil, and we see it on full display here in this chapter. Let's go back to verse 1 now. Notice it says, and it came to pass after many days. And notice, even in the third year. After many days, yes, in the third year. And what is this a reference to? Because in uh, the previous chapter, in chapter 17, it gives us this time frame. Because remember, it says in, in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, it says at the end of that verse, that there shall be no rain uh, or do these years, these years, except at my word. And because God, Elijah's word was God's word. He didn't take, you know, it was God's word and he was just the messenger. But notice, these years, except at my word. So now we're three and a half years have passed. Elijah has been by the brook Cherith. The brook dried up. He's been to the widow at Zarephath up in Sidon. And now... He goes, God, after the end of that three and a half years, God tells him to go back down and talk to Ahab again. And that's where we are right now. And yes, according, according to Jesus, it was three and a half years. You might want to make a reference in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. You don't have to go there, but just write this reference in your Bible. Luke chapter 4, verse, beginning in verse 25 through 27. And let me just read it to you because Jesus tells us. It wasn't three years, it was three and a half years. 
Because Jesus, uh, speaking at the synagogue in Nazareth, where they had rejected him, remember he opened up to Psalm 60, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61, the, 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 the hand of the Lord is upon me and has given, you know, and I, I preach good tidings and all that. And at the end of that, remember what he said? It says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears, and the Jews lost their mind, they grabbed Jesus, they took him out to the brow of the cliff of, of Nazareth, and they were going to throw him off the cliff and stone him, but he somehow was able to get out from among them. Probably they were arguing so much, he's just like, okay, I'm leaving, and then he left. But, but notice, during that time, he says, I tell you the truth, and he, he references this, what we just read in, verse seven, or in chapter 17, he says, But I tell you truly, many widows, and this is part of the, the thing that got him in trouble with the Jews while he was there as well, in, in, in the synagogue at Nazareth. He said, But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up, three years and six months. There it is. And there was a great famine throughout the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And we'll read about that later. And the Lord speaks to uh, Elijah now to go and to speak to Ahab. And so Elijah went to present himself, we know that. And it says in verse 3 that Ahab had a servant by the name of Obadiah. His name means servant of Jehovah. And notice what it says in verse 3, that he feared the Lord greatly. He feared Jehovah greatly. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it, what is a man like Obadiah doing in the palace of, uh, of this wicked, wicked king? And his wife, Jezebel. I mean, what, what is he doing? But you know what I find interesting is that God sometimes, he, he has his servants right where he wants them as a way of making them accountable and hopefully being an example before them. It's important for us to do that in our wicked world that we live in too. Not to be a part of it, but to, to be an example, right? God wants us to be an example. He wants us to be an ambassador for him. And it's easy to be an ambassador when you're in, in church where everything is great. But it's not so easy when we go out into the world in the workplace or back home where there is just this constant strife. It's harder to do it there, isn't it? And yet that's where God calls us oftentimes, to be in the middle of the storm, to be a witness. And don't confuse this Obadiah. Don't confuse him with the minor prophet named Obadiah. Two different men. Obadiah, his prophecy is in the Bible. But it must have been really difficult for this man to continue and serve and, and to live and be a steward over the house of Ahab and Jezebel. And history court records for us that there were other great men of God in history as well that endured similar circumstances. Think of Joseph in the court of, of uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh wasn't a godly man, and yet Joseph was an exemplary character. And God was blessing Egypt because of that man. Not because of Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he was all that, and God's going, uh, no, it's because of the number two guy. I'm blessing this land because of him, not because of you. So sit down and put your dunce hat back on. No, and what about Daniel in Babylon? And Daniel under the Medes and the Persians? 
Think about the influence that that godly man had on, on Nebuchadnezzar, this, this evil, wicked man, this pagan idolater. And yet we believe that Nebuchadnezzar is in glory as a result of Daniel's witness and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names. So it's not uncommon. And so here's this man, Obadiah, it says, for so it was that while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took 100 prophets and he hid them, 50 to a cave. And we first heard of, of Jezebel um, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 16, and it tells us that it had been a, a trivial thing for Ahab to continue in his idolatry that he marries this evil woman. And she was, and she ruled uh, over, really, her husband. And we're going to see that as we go through these chapters in First Kings, that she wasn't a submissive wife like a, a wife should be, submissive to her husband, and the husband should treat his wife uh, as, as Christ does the church, and that means self-denial and self-sacrifice, and there's a lot of things in there, but a wife is to be submitted to her husband, and the man is to be the head, and the woman is not to be the head in the home. It doesn't mean that she's not capable it doesn't mean that she's not smart enough. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's all about God's order. He created Adam first and then Eve. Woman literally means out of man. So there's an order here that God has established long in the scripture. And that is still true for today. But Jezebel was the one who usurped that authority over her husband, often using his signet ring to do things uh, either unbeknownst to him or with his authority, but he didn't have the guts to do it himself, and so he lets his wife do it. But either way, this is an evil woman. And notice that um, Obadiah, his faithfulness to God and his people, notice also that he made sure that these men of God had water and bread to eat, yes, during a famine, because when the wheat is not growing, you can't have bread. So somehow he found enough bread to feed these men. I'm sure they didn't, maybe they didn't get it every day. Maybe they got it only once every three days or something like that. But this faithful man, Obadiah, comes and he gives to these great men of God food and water. Living in a king's palace who's filled with idolatry and everything unclean. One of the worst kings in Israel's history. And he hides them in caves, 50 to a cave. And if you come to Israel with us next year, you'll understand that when he, he put them in caves of 50, there are caves everywhere. When you go down the Jordan Valley, you can look on the side of the, of the mountains, and there are all kinds of caves. And when you get down to the Dead Sea, there are even more down there. And there are literally thousands of caves, thousands of caves. And, and there's so many things that have happened in those caves. David and his men down in, in, in Gedi, they, they hid several hundred men as, they, as Saul was pursuing them. And, 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 and so there, there's lots of room in some of these caves. It's the caves that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. There in Qumran, we visit that, that area when we go to Israel. Yes, I'm making shameful plugs for Israel. I'm just going to be honest about it. I am because I, I love the land. I love... Uh, as I'm reading this, I'm seeing all this in my head. And the Bible opens up to you. But notice, verse 5, it says, Ahab said to Obadiah, Now go into the land and you, you know, go in to look at all the streams and by all the brooks and perhaps we'll find grass to feed the cattle. And the reason they were going to these springs and brooks is because everything else had dried up. 
The only thing that would be left is any little bit of trickle water that's going down the middle of some stream. There might be something growing alongside that just has enough to survive. And so he would have him go and grab these, uh, these blades of grass to feed the cattle. And so they divided the land uh, between themselves. And I, I find it interesting that he would be out there by himself. It appears, anyway, that... Obadiah and Ahab, the king. Now, maybe Ahab had a guard around him of some men. We don't really know, but it appears that it's just him and this other man. Things have gotten so bad that they're out there doing this stuff. And so while Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah meets him. And notice the respect and the reverence that Obadiah had for Elijah. You know, when he, when he met him, his first inclination is to fall down flat on his face and, and say, is that you, my Lord Elijah? And obviously he wasn't worshiping Elijah, but he had a, a reverence for him. And he answered him and said, it is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Now Elijah certainly knew that Ahab had sought to kill him. And it seemed that for three and a half years, God had been preparing Elijah for this square-off, this meeting with Ahab, and ultimately this face-off between the prophets of Baal. God had preparatory things to do in the life of Elijah. And you know, God does prepare his servants for ministries that he calls them to. And you remember that even Moses had 40 years in the backside of the desert after he had already spent 40 years in Egypt learning all the languages and going to all the finest schools, getting all the Ivy League accolades and walking out with all those doctorate degrees and, you know, the smiles and the all of that stuff, and then God had to take him out into the desert where he literally forgot about all of that, and God, during that 40 years, was preparing him so that around 80 years of age, he goes back and he delivers his people and takes them another 40 years through the desert. Now he's 120 years old. And God prepared him for 40 years. And God prepares us too. Maybe he's preparing you for something that you're not even aware of yet. Maybe he has been preparing something for you and you haven't uh, understood what it is yet. But um, that's what God does. I, I, I know that my time here with Pastor Jeff and serving in the worship ministry for 23 years before he left, I had no idea that I was being prepared. But I look back now and I'm like, Lord, you prepared me. And I, had, I was completely oblivious to it. Completely oblivious. And I, and I think that's probably a good thing. <laughs> because I love it when God does stuff and you're completely unaware. Because then when it finally happens, you, you, can't, you, you can't try to improve on it. You just walk with him. You simply walk with him. You, you're just, you walk with him. It's that simple. But notice here that God had given Elijah grace and faith to speak truth to that authority, to speak truth to power. And this is something that we are to do as well, to speak truth to power. But we need to do it with respect according to the Spirit of God, remembering who it is that we represent. When we speak truth to power, we don't swear and get all angry and mad and start throwing things and throwing tantrums. No, we can speak truth to power by speaking the truth. And yes, it is confrontive. The truth is confronted. It's supposed to be. 
But we can speak truth and we can do it in such a way where it's not deriding, it's not abasing somebody, it's not, um, uh, you know, we can speak truth and just speak the truth. And the truth itself will do the effect, but we must speak the truth. Because whatever whatever makes manifest light is truth. Isn't that what the Bible says in the Gospel of John? Whatever makes manifest is light. In other words, whatever uncovers anything that's in darkness, that's light. And God has called us to be light and salt. And light exposes But we have to be careful how we do that. Always being mindful of the beam in our own eye as we go forward. But to be able to speak boldly, but kindly and respectfully to that power. Whoever it is, to our governor of this state. If we had an opportunity to speak to her, we'd better do it with respect, but to speak the truth and love. And we don't need to raise our voice and stamp our feet and cut ourselves. We can be honest and direct and kind even though the truth is going to cut very deep. And I believe that's what Elijah did with Ahab. And so now Obadiah says, Elijah, how have I sinned? Are you going to deliver me into the hand of Ahab to kill me? And he says, there is no nation or kingdom where Ahab has not sent someone to hunt for you. In other words, Ahab had put out a contract on Elijah's head. Yes, this is like a modern-day Chicago back in the time of Prohibition with the, with the Mafia. And really no different here. Really no different. A contract was out on his head, and he says, Now you tell me, go tell your master, Elijah's here. And it shall come to pass, he said, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord is going to carry you to a place I do not know. And it's kind of interesting. Well, let me finish the verse. He says, So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he's going to kill me then. But I... The Lord, I, your servant, excuse me, have feared the Lord from my youth. And a couple of things for us to look at here. Number one is, there was evidently some understanding that God was going to take Elijah in some kind of supernatural way. And that evidently had been spread abroad. You know, maybe from the school of the prophets that Elijah had. We don't really know. There was something going on about God was going to take this man at a certain time, and they were all curious of when that might be. And so there was this rumor floating around that that was going to happen. And so Obadiah is saying, can you chain yourself to this terebinth tree? (laughs) Can you chain yourself here? Because I don't want you to go anywhere. Of course, if God's going to take you, he'll take the tree with it. And also notice that this man, Obadiah, had a great reverence of the Lord from his youth. From his youth, yes, since he was... A little boy, this young man had a reverence for God. And it's important, isn't it, that we train and bring up our kids in a godly way. What does the scripture tell us? It tells us in Proverbs 22, verse 6, we know this. Train up a child in the way he would go, should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And now Obadiah is getting older, and he's not forgetting about the Lord. Daniel was a young man, a a very, probably just barely a teenager, maybe, when he got led captive into Babylon. And what does this young man do? He has an exemplary character and refuses the king's meat. He refuses to bend to the pagan idolatry of Babylon, but rather he holds his relationship with God to such a great value that he's not willing to forfeit it. 
He's rather, he'd rather go into the, 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 the fiery furnace. He'd rather go into, uh, actually for him, it was the, the den of lions. He'd be willing, he's willing rather to do those things than to rebel against the Lord. And guess what? He didn't even have the Spirit of God indwelling him. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of First Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.